what's good, what's really good, on this week's episode of Always Listening. Welcome to Always Listening. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I am not spoiler adverse, but I'm really glad I haven't been insert spoiler here about the Mandalorian. Uh, so I was I avoided spoilers too, but the only way that I did that is because I shotgunned the episodes as soon as I they were available. Basically, I am worried about people, particularly Jay, in uh, other parts of the world. You know, the Disney Plus service hasn't launched everywhere. I think in the in Australia, it's just launched this week, maybe, or it's launching today. In the UK, they don't get it until, like, March. I'm assuming those people are just pirating, right? They're all torrenting. <laughs> I would I would assume. I would also give a warning. I don't know if people actually read the show notes and click on our links um, before they actually listen to the podcast. But the last story we're going to do has a big picture of the insert spoiler from The Mandalorian in their blog post. So if you That's do a not, very good point. If you do not wish to be spoiled by episode one and subsequently episode two of The Mandalorian, uh, do not click on that blog post. Yeah, that's the final story we're going to talk about from uh, Coleman Insights. And also, Jay, after the show today, uh, we're going to talk for a few minutes about The Mandalorian itself. But that, again, that'll be post-show. You don't have the to miss after it. show. Uh, you don't have to skip it. And uh, there'll be a chapter marker, too, so you can avoid it uh, that way if you haven't seen the show yet. Uh, we, but we, we are. We're talking about good stuff today. It feels like, especially last week, Jay, we had kind of some negativity uh, on, on uh, or pessimism, I guess, maybe, about uh, things that are happening in the industry. We want to talk about some good stories today. We're going to start with, and this isn't groundbreaking. There's nothing really spectacular here necessarily, but it's good sometimes to just have a reminder of things that are beautiful about the podcast industry. This is from Podcast Business Journal. Richard Davies is the uh, author. Uh, he has uh, come from the the network broadcasting uh, arena. He's been in podcasting now for about four and a half years, and this is sort of like his reflecting on the best things about this medium that we exist in, this industry that we're trying to work in. Um, I like this. I can give you a little bit more background on Richard, too, because I've spoken with Richard a number of times, uh, you know, attempted to work with him, too. Great podcast called How Do We Fix It, which uh, I love just the basic concept of it, where you take issues that surround society and literally propose, don't sit there and propose, this is a big problem, da 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 actually propose solutions to fixing the issues that are in front of us. And I uh, really enjoy the way that his podcast is set up. He, he's been writing for the Podcast Business Journal here since its launch. He's been a contributor to it. And again, as you mentioned, these aren't necessarily groundbreaking, but they're a great reminder, especially for those of us who have been involved in podcasting for a number of years, of what is actually beautiful, uh, I'll use his word, beautiful about podcasting. 
my the first one is probably my favorite, and it's something that I remind every single one of my clients about, specifically my business clients. When you're doing a podcast for your business in support of your business as a, a you know a client funnel or content marketing, et cetera, et cetera, this is the number one thing to think about. Podcasting is a situation where faced with a cornucopia of choices, podcast listeners choose to listen to you. It's an active choice to subscribe and then to engage with that content on a week-to-week or a month-to-month basis. Jay, you use the phrase on occasion, and it comes from radio, uh, the radio world, P1s. The P1 listeners are that, are that radio listener that turns your radio station on in the morning and ends your, your day with your radio station as well. They're the ones that are a participant in every contest. They show up to live events. They're a member of the fan club. They sign up for artist you know, events when they're going to be in town, et cetera, et cetera. That's your number one fan, so to speak. That's that group of listeners that forms the dedicated core around which you can build a great community. Podcasting is effectively all P1s or, you know, basically all of our listeners are that P1 listener. All right. Because there's no, and and it goes right into number two, there are no middles. Uh, Well, there are middles, but there are, um, you you only listen to a podcast from the beginning is is essentially what I'm saying. There are no beginnings in radio. People are always jumping into the middle. There's nothing but a middle in radio. In podcasting, there's nothing but a beginning. And people are listening to a show with that in mind that they're going through. They only start at the beginning. They don't jump ahead to the middle. They don't jump to the end. They don't skip around unless you give them that option with a chapter. And, but that is so rare. Most people are, most people are listening to the show from front to back. Uh, and they're, and they're not kicking out, right? As soon as you're going to a commercial break on a radio, people are hearing those phrases, those, all right, in just a few minutes, we're going to be back. Boink on a radio. They hit a button on a podcast. There's no button to hit other than maybe the fast forward button. Uh, and they're really not even hitting that. The research shows that. So everything about the podcasting experience is that your audience has chosen you. Uh, as as he put it, the cornucopia of choices, they choose you. Almost like I choose myself. <laughs> little 90210 humor. Sorry, the, uh, it fell flat. <laughs> The, the third idea here, Jay, that, that listeners aren't distracted by video images, you know, he talks about the fact that uh, a story that often would be shot down for a news broadcast on television because there's no compelling video footage to put alongside of it, it can live very well with just one voice sharing that story directly into your ears on a podcast. Um, the other thing that occurs to me here, I think about the... Uh, story about the Nixon Kennedy debate, and that it was mm. you know the first one that was held on television, and the people that watched it on TV thought Kennedy won. The people that listened to it on the radio thought Nixon won, and they were both conv- like not a little bit. They they were widely varied audience, and and the reason was Kennedy looked so young and virile and vital and and healthy and and attractive and and like a movie star, and Nixon was sweating and an old man and sort of curmudgeonly and kept grimacing at Kennedy the whole time, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't see any of that in the radio broadcast, though. Um, it is interesting that this this 
Well, it, again, it's interesting that here in the 21st century, we are revisiting and re-exploring what is possible in an audio-only medium. I think that's a really cool sort of like circle. I have a great story about that because audio storytelling is all about the theater of the mind, uh, which means the experience of the story that's being told is going to be unique to each and every individual because their theater is completely different than others. And so my wife and I volunteer at the concession stand during varsity football games because my son, while he has to dress for varsity, is never going to see a second of play on the varsity field, at least this season. He's a sophomore. Uh, so we're in the concession stand and one of the other gentlemen is talking and he, he makes a joke and he says, um, we're all out of hand warmers, if you get what I mean. And and we all sort of laugh and I laugh the loudest. And my wife sort of looks at me and goes, I, actually, I, I, I don't understand what he meant. And I was like, that's the point. <laughs> like he said, what does, if you get what I mean, I can take that anywhere I want it to go, but it doesn't necessarily have anything. And that's exactly what he said. He's like, exactly. I didn't mean anything by it. I was just saying the line, if you know what I mean. And you can take that to mean whatever you want at that particular point. Just like right now, I could say, I'm sitting here at the desk talking on a podcast, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right? <laughs> It doesn't have to mean anything, but as soon as I put it in that tone, suddenly everybody wants to see the video goes, version right, of this podcast. Suddenly everyone wants to be like, whoa, what is Jay doing <laughs> behind that desk, if you know what I mean? Oh, he says podcasting, number four, podcasting is a blue jeans, not a business suit. I'm medium. not wearing blue jeans, if you know <laughs> what I mean. It's a pantsless medium often. It uh, it began from the bottom up, not the top down. And it's nice seeing people from the broadcast industry continue to acknowledge that, right? Like they, And he even says, despite the fact that there's these giant media companies and venture capitalists coming in, some of the best and the brightest podcasts are indies, you know, shows produced by one or two or three or four people. Uh, and the, the one that I always think about here is Lore. It started out with just Aaron. Now he's got a team of researchers behind him that help him, you know, begin the writing process for all of those shows that he does. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's hired out the editing, too, at this point. But Aaron Mankey and Lore started as just a guy writing stories and thinking, what do I do with these? I don't know. They're too long to be blog posts. Nobody's ever going to read this as a newsletter. I don't know. Is it an audio book? It's not long enough to be an audio book. Oh, oh, it's a podcast. If you know what I mean, <laughs> that's the, uh, I mean, that is really the beauty uh, of podcasting. And quite honestly, I never understood the whole, let's get dressed up in a suit sort of thing. Like to me, I get the stereotype. If I see a man dressed, who's well-dressed in a suit, ties all buttoned up, that means he comes from a position of power, right? That's the, that's the stereotype, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. I am much more comfortable. I don't like wearing that stuff. I am way more comfortable wearing a pair of blue jeans, wearing, you know, maybe not a ratty t-shirt and maybe a nice t-shirt. And maybe I'll put a sport coat on. I, I like being relaxed and casual. There's Why do I have to dress up to get you to uh, respect what I'm saying more 
than if I was just sit, if I was just sitting in a ratty t-shirt and a ratty pair of jeans. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like the the cover doesn't have to tell the story, shouldn't have to tell the story. Fortunately, that's sort of the culture that we've been brought up in, though, right? Unless you're in a suit and a tie, what you say is less important. I've never understood in sports, right? Why are my sportscasters giving me the sports news in a suit and a tie? Like, who in the world is watching sports in a suit and a tie? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. When I see business, when I see the owners of the teams in their press box wearing suits and ties, I'm like, you can't be comfortable in that. Like, you're at a sporting event enjoying yourself. Like, loosen up. Like, you know, take the tie off at least. I mean, come on. And that's that is one of the things that I like about Mark Cuban is that he he sort of doesn't go with that traditional look uh, on a very regular basis anyway. Um, number five, it's sort of along the same lines. There are no rules. Uh, Richard points out here that one of his How Do We Fix It episodes was 12 minutes long. Another was 37 minutes long. Um, many of the hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are in production have small, highly specialized niche audiences. While some teams carefully construct everything, others allow spontaneity to take listeners on a joyful, surprising, unscripted ride. If you I know love, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, shut up. I love the... <laughs> I love the variety that podcasting offers. I really do. Like the fact that uh, this week, for instance, I listened to uh, a, a, several different shows. I listened to a show called um, The Opus from Sony uh, Records. Uh, in particular, I listened to three episodes that was about Willie Nelson's The Redheaded Stranger. Then I also listened to a show called Dolly's America from WNYC, I think. Uh, which is really, really good. I, I highly enjoyed that. Both of those shows are very polished, produced, come with a team behind it, obviously. Um, but but also they are different in that one is crafting basically a solo experience. The narrator controls everything and there are voices that support his work and music that supports his work. That's Opus. And then with Dolly's America... It's really more like a This American Life or something where it's like a journalistic story and we take you through it using both the writer's voice as well as, uh, you know, the main subject, which, of course, is Dolly Parton and a lot of ancillary characters, too. And then on the flip side, my favorite podcast probably is a show called The Weekly Planet which is two Australian young guys about my age that do a show about comics and movies and video games and stuff like that. And, and they literally play their segments, Jay, the, 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 the bumper music for their different segments from their iPhones, like hold it up to a micro, they hit the button and they hold it up to the microphone every time, you know, like it's just the opposite of high, high quality production. And yet I enjoyed them every bit as much Podcasting is all of those things. Podcasting is more than that, too. Podcasting is, there are no rules. I love it. By the way, if you take fortune cookie fortunes and you just add in bed at the end of every one, that's also <laughs> a fun game. Just letting you know. So here's an example, Jay. We've been talking about The Mandalorian. The, 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 the first two episodes of The Mandalorian are out on Disney+. Plus. The first episode was like 39 minutes, which is short by streaming drama standards. Right. And yet, when you compare it to like a network TV show, you're only going to get about 41 minutes in an hour with the commercials around it. So like it does, that didn't feel too short. 
The second episode, though, was only 30 minutes long. And because of the expectations of, you know, the Game of Thrones and and Breaking Bad and these high-quality drama TV shows, I I saw a lot of people give – uh, guff online, like why? Why are these sh- these episodes so short, et cetera, et cetera? There aren't those kinds of rules in podcasting. So the first thing I thought of with the Mandalorian times, especially the thirty nine minutes, was, oh, they've made this so that it can be rebroadcast on broadcast television with commercials, uh, because that is the exact length of time, if not just a few minutes shorter than what you need to be on broadcast television for an hour-long program. I totally missed that the second episode was only 30 minutes long. That would obviously pose a problem. You know, lots of cable shows do this. HBO shows often have varying lengths, right? Like one of them will be, you know, 48 minutes or 49 minutes, and the next episode will be an hour and two minutes or something like that. Even Hmm. broadcast does this occasionally where they do the supersized episodes for a special event or something. But... The the Disney Plus thing did seem extreme. And again, since that medium is so formatted and so formulaic and you're so used to having things be the same length, it was disconcerting. Podcasting, j- nobody would worry about having an episode that much shorter, honestly. No. Nope. Not at all. I I like this article a lot. I think it is good to to focus on things that are such positives and to remind yourself that and no matter the issues that we have and there are lots of issues um overall this is a pretty cool medium this is a pretty cool industry that we're in and and you know remind yourself of that on stop and smell the roses so to speak Uh, i agree it's a good reminder uh jay let's move to our second story last week we specifically called out one of the big podcast hosts and maybe some of their issues with their current uh pricing and questions about the way that they're implementing some of their services um so if you're a fairly new podcaster maybe you listen to that maybe you listen to some of these bigger hosts talk about oh anchor's bad oh this is bad oh that is bad whatever what makes a good podcast host? What are we looking for when we say to ourselves, yeah, that's a good one. That's not <laughs> You know what's one. really funny about this, Joel, is this goes back to the whole point that we had a couple weeks ago about the uh, confusing language podcasting uses because we'll refer to a podcast – because we refer to a podcast host – as a place that literally hosts your RSS feed and then sends it out for distribution. This particular article about what makes a great podcast host is about the guy who's doing the podcast or the lady could be a lady too. Could be a team of people could be a celebrity. And that's exactly what uh, the good folks over at Pacific content wanted to sort of highlight what makes a great podcast host. Now remember Pacific content specifically uh, produce branded podcasts for advertisers. So when they're talking about what makes a great podcast host, they're coming from it from a completely different perspective than say your two Australian buddies who are just sitting around and playing sound effects off their phone into their microphone. Um, so they mention in here, you have to have a spirit, a partnership which seems to make a lot of sense. If you're going to hire someone to be the voice of your brand, you want to make sure that that person is all in on your particular brand. Absolutely. In the same, let's take it to an independent level where you have two guys that are playing sound effects off their phone. Those two guys have to have 
sort of a similar mindset. They have to sort of get together and be like, I don't have any problem with the with you playing the sound effects off your phone. I think that offers us up a little bit of credibility, if you will. We're just two dudes sitting here having a blast, and we want to share that fun with the rest of our audience. This is what we would be doing if there wasn't a microphone here in place in any case. When you and I started this podcast, we had one particular vision for what we wanted to do with this particular show. And that has evolved over time, and we've remained on that same page. I would imagine if one of us proposed an evolution of this show that the other wasn't on the same page with, we either wouldn't move on with that evolution or we would split up. And I think so having a spirit of partnership when we're talking about it from a corporate side and from an independent side, I think is an important aspect when you're looking for a great host. To take it back to uh, your former employer, Once Upon a Time, Jay, you want somebody who's a company man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you want you want somebody who's on board. Like, the, the fact of the matter is that one of the beauties of, of podcasting is that we can have these beautiful, bold, uh, bright, independent voices that do daring and, you know, challenging things. Those sorts of voices are going to work better as independents than inside a larger organization, uh, than as a quote-unquote hired gun, you know? Uh, the next thing is performance, and this is always tricky because it is a very subjective skill uh, that we're talking about when we're talking about performance, uh, because we're usually putting on the adjective good or great. And as was written here, uh, who wrote this one? Was this Steve again? Steve, uh, no, this one's from Dan. Um, when we're talking about performance, especially the public radio producer, we often talk about a host's ability to, quote unquote, lift a script off the page. Another way of saying, does it sound like they're reading a script? Uh, and you can tell when somebody is reading something versus when they're performing. And when you can't tell if they're actually reading something versus they're just coming off the cuff, that is a great skill. It's one that can be taught. It's difficult to do. Great hosts don't necessarily need to be taught how to do that. They just sort of have it. Uh, another, another phrase that I like to use, and it's commonly used in other aspects of life, is you can't really define it, but you know it when you hear it. And oftentimes that comes with the idea of you're in a bar, you're, you're hearing two people having a conversation and they're make, they make you feel just as comfortable as if you were a part of that conversation, even though you're technically eavesdropping. That's sort of another way to look at performance and, and determining if it's a great performance or just a good performance. Here again, though, so much is subjective, right? And there and there aren't any hard and fast rules, or there are very few hard and fast rules. I think specifically to take it to the music side a little bit, give you two examples from those podcasts I listened to earlier this week, Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton, both voices that early in their career were effectively told were never going to make it as recording artists. They both had talent as songwriters, but they weren't going to make it as a recording artist because their voices were too distinct, too unique, and too different than what everyone expected. And because of that, they were never going to be stars. Both of them outshined effectively everyone from their generation. Why? Because their voices were unique and different 
and and stood out from the crowd. The the artistry combined with that unique voice made a difference. Howard Stern in the radio world doesn't look like anybody you would make a star. Honestly, doesn't sound like anyone you would make a star. His voice is not this imagined perfect broadcaster voice, right? His speech patterns are not necessarily soothing. He's got staccato in there. He's got this weird rhythm to the way he, he delivers things. It's a little creepy, maybe even at first, almost the way he delivered. But over time, the people who like it love it. And that's what I'm saying. Like, this is, yes, you, you want the ability, okay, like the ability to read, uh, to lift the script off the page. You're, you're absolutely right, Jay. Some of that is natural. You know, you, we remember when we were in grade school and the teacher would say, who wants to read aloud? There were the kids who raised their hand and there were the kids who hid their faces, right? The kids who raised their hand and most of them actually you were the kids you wanted to uh, to read out loud because they could continue a thought. They made it sound like a complete idea. You could listen to it and, and follow it, et cetera, et cetera. And then there were kids you hated. Please don't let them read because I can't keep up with it if they're reading out loud. Uh, so some of that is natural. But then even the kid who has that natural ability, doing it more and more, doing it over time, working on it, listening to the game tape, too, right? Like going back and listening to what you did and analyzing it to get better. All of those things can improve anybody. Even, I mean, you know, De Niro can improve his acting abilities by looking at what he's done in the past and looking at his colleagues and saying, oh, maybe I could take a little from here or a little from there. And even a master can improve. You know, and and to take this even a step further, I've worked with a lot of voiceover people. You're in the voiceover industry. Uh, and think about this. If you're just doing a quick little two-second branding element, uh, and I'll use my own job as an example, uh, Locked On Podcasts, your team every day, all right? Finding a person that can say that phrase in a way that one, doesn't sound like it's reading, two, doesn't sound like it's forced, and three, actually makes you believe what is being said and gives you an idea of what it is that you're about to listen to is extremely difficult, and the best voiceover artists can do it fantastically. There are other people that I've I've heard try to do this, and it doesn't, you're just sort of like, yeah, it's a little underwhelming. It's just not what we're looking for. And it's not that you're always looking for big voice Zeus guy. It's just you want to have that feeling of like, ooh, this is important. It's got a little oomph to it. It's a very difficult thing to do, uh, and the really great voiceover people can do that extremely well, almost to the point where you don't even notice it. You just sort of, you know when it's not there, and all of a sudden you go, hey, where hey, where did voice guy go? Why is voice guy missing? Uh, and it's about having it's about having the right voice, the right personality for the right project too, right? right. I, I just saw a, a, a friend of mine, Carrie Olson, who's a great voiceover artist. Uh, she just shared she did a new commercial for Disney Plus, as a matter of fact, and she's got suburban mom voice effectively, mm. and it's perfect for what they wanted to do: characters you know, stories you love memories you'll cherish, you know, that kind of thing. And it's warm and it's inviting and it's nostalgic and it's all those things together. But it's also hip and it's current because she's hip and current. Anyway, like you wouldn't want uh, 
you know, Don Fontaine or whatever for in a world, in a world where we all want to watch Star Wars. That's not what they were going for. I, I worked with a gentleman. His name is Jim Cutler, and he has a great range. He can do quite a number of things. However, Jim Cutler is the voice guy. Not, not, oh, better example. When you're watching ESPN and you hear that guy, this guy, you wouldn't want this guy doing your NPR show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to This American Life. <laughs> like that guy doesn't have the right voice to be doing to portray what you're about to hear from This American Life. It would be a little off. Uh, and even if he tried to uh, smooth that out. It's still going to sound a little bit like this. It's going to be, hi, welcome to this America. It, he just doesn't have the voice. But in certain instances, although I can tell you everyone at ESPN has made fun of that voice because it's such an easy one to do. Uh, <laughs> in certain instances, it works really well uh, to sort of, it, it's, a, it's a different voice that sort of stands out and sort of makes you pay attention to what is about to occur. And I think it's important to understand the use of voices in that way. Sort of something that is different, stands out, makes you pay attention. That's what we're getting at. And that comes with storytelling as well, which I think is another important thing. And honestly, there aren't very many better storytellers than you'll find at NPR. That is one thing that NPR has down to a pat. They have phenomenal storytellers. To me, Radiolab is the best produced podcast ever, hands down, period. You can't argue with me on that. If you will, you're wrong. Because it is 100% quintessentially audio art. That's the best way to put it. The way I've... As a production person, I have often tried to sit and deconstruct what I've heard uh, because I love the process of how everything gets weaved together and how the story is told. And I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how particular elements mix together, how they found those particular elements to actually hit on particular notes of the story, the way that the story is being told, the intonation of the voice, like that show is so finite. Like there are so, there's such small finite nuances in that particular podcast that you don't even know about, but you listen to it and you're amazed by it. Look for hosts who think in stories. That's the final line of that section. And it's just so true. But I, I think this is so this is good advice for anybody that's listening to this podcast, actually, I think whether you're ever going to hire a podcast host or not, uh, whether you're going to just continue to host your own show yourself. And even if your show is not narrative, even if your show is interview based, if it is, you know, a business focused show, if it is that uh, you know, client funnel or, or, uh, um, content marketing, think in stories, think about presenting the content and the information that you want to share with your audience in a concise, complete thought, you know, make it a story, tell them a story and they'll remember the story. Even if they don't remember every single detail. Even taking this particular podcast that Joel and I do, we'll part the curtain a little bit for you. We have an outline that we're following, and the way that we design that outline is done in a specific way to get from 
story A, two story B, two story C, and if we have a story D, today I think we're only going to have three stories. Uh, mm-hmm. FYI, Joel, I think our, our story C is now gone and story D becomes story C. Uh, see, even parting the curtains a little bit more there for you. Um, we even put this particular show, which isn't about storytelling, in a manner that tells a story, that gives you sort of a journey from point A to the finale. And hopefully you've joined us through that journey. You enjoy the journey. And from what Joel tells me, people are enjoying the journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, interviewing is the next one. Um, interviewing is a skill. Many people dedicate their entire careers to it. But this is, again, it's something that you can get better at. Um and I think there are different ways to approach this too. I think a lot of times we're reductionist on uh, examples like um, John Lee Dumas with Entrepreneur on Fire. You know, he goes to a format, he asks everyone the same questions, which is horrible. And, well, I I tend to agree with that. However, I understand why, and I think in some ways there's a genius to it in that John knew what he had to offer and what he didn't have to offer, right? He was not going to develop a system by which he was going to be deeply researching these people and pulling out some soundbite or thought or or experience that has never been told before on a previous interview they've done or something. He's not Barbara Walters, as it were. He wasn't going to make anybody cry. He wanted to get literally like a survey of information from people with a certain amount of success on a certain track, et cetera, et cetera, and share that with his audience. And you know what? His format does that. It, it does that effectively. I'm not saying it's the right way for you, but what I am saying is he looked at this question of interviewing, saw what his options were, what his abilities were, and then tried to make the best of what he had with an, an active choice. That's what I'm really using him as a lesson here. I wouldn't, he but I wouldn't active choice. Sure, but I wouldn't list John Lee Dumas as a great interviewer. Oh, for that I strongly agree for I'm for that particular that I think, point. I think most of I think most of our listeners probably will never become great interviewers. So, as one of the possible tracks, I'm saying maybe you need to know about that. Maybe you need to know that about yourself first and foremost. If that's not one of your strong suits, maybe your show doesn't need to be an interview show. Maybe also, there's a different true. way for you to approach the content and bring the information and and create a podcast. But on the flip side, if you feel like interviewing still has to be a part of it and you know that that's not a skill that you have, first and foremost, do what we talked about earlier. Get better. How do you do that? By researching your peers, seeing what people that are good interviewers that you appreciate, the way that they approach a subject, how do they do it, emulating them where you can – also listening to your own game film, so to speak, mm. you know, going back to the tape, seeing what I did right, what I did wrong. Oh, there was an opportunity that I missed. I could have taken that conversation off my script and really gone somewhere interesting, but I wasn't listening and active in the moment. Maybe, you know, that's a big thing that I know that people miss a lot. Well, and Dan sort of writes these three very important skills that an interviewer has. The number one is knows how to listen. Listening is actually the most important skill when you're interviewing someone because they might say something that's going to, number two, pique your curiosity. They're going to say something that you weren't necessarily prepared for. You've got your, you've got your 
prepared questions. Every good interviewer has a list of questions that they know that they want to get to, but they're going to ask question number one, and they're going to let that person answer that question and take them on that journey. Now that person says something that they weren't prepared for, or maybe they were prepared for, but weren't prepared for to be the second question. And they're going to jump in their script and they're going to go, okay, you mentioned this, we're going to jump over to this now. And then they're going to come back. A good interviewer is always listening and knows exactly where to jump in and follow their curiosity. And then number three, comfortable going off script, improvising and challenging guests if needed. If your guest, I, I can tell you this, one of the most difficult people to interview, and I, and I don't want to make this political, but it's quite obvious, is Donald Trump. He's impossible to interview because he's going to say something and then he just repeats it. He won't say anything different. Uh, I'll go to sports again. Bill Belichick, trying to interview that man. You ain't getting nothing out of him. We're on to Cincinnati. That's, that's what you're going to get out of Bill Belichick. So understand who your subject matter is. Uh, as you said, do your research, have your game plan in place, but be ready to be able to improvise off of that game plan because you're listening and your curiosity is bringing you to that particular point. And that what makes a good interview. And again, how do you get better at that? Reps. Just keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and part of that comes into this next part, credibility and subject area expertise. When when you have someone, especially if it's a sensitive subject in some fashion, uh, I think about true crime podcasts, Jay, and we've had this spat of, you know, oh, they're stealing stories or they're cribbing the information from somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. Part of that goes back to credibility and subject area expertise. If you have someone uh, telling the story, sharing the story, and it feels like they're also the lead investigator, so to speak, in some of these situations, I think about Sarah Koenig, for instance, with uh, Serial, the first season of Serial. It was clear that she was involved in the reporting of that story as well as the actual recording of the podcast. If Sarah had not had credibility from her years of experience with This American Life and, and the rest of that apparatus – then I don't think that would have taken hold in the same way. And here's an example. Um, uh, what is the, uh, the, the podcast from um, that, that was also about, it started about them anyway. Uh, goodness gracious, what is her name? Um, uh, now, see, I'm not going to be able to find it. Um, it was the Shadra. Um Rabia, oh. Rabia, yep, yep, Rabia yep. Shadri, Rabia Shadri, uh, who did the undisclosed podcast. Okay. Now that eventually took off as well, but she was trying to tell this story herself to anyone who would listen. And one of the reasons why no one would listen is because she didn't have any public credibility. She wasn't anybody that anybody knew at the time, even though she did have a little bit of experience and she did have a background in law that that didn't matter to anyone that was listening until there was a public case about this through the serial podcast. And then we turned to Rabia and said, tell us more. 
And a lot of people listened then because she had the built-in credibility and expertise that came with being a part of the story in Serial, right? She was mentioned in Serial and given the stamp of approval by the NPR apparatus, and and therefore it was all okay again. You know, like that is an example of credibility and expertise being transferred there through a podcast to another podcaster. Yeah, if you're getting your fantasy football advice from Matthew Barry, here's a gentleman who's been working in a major corporate sense with a team of researchers and a company that is fully be, you know, behind the fantasy football phenomenon. Uh, and while he may or may not give you good fantasy advice, you at least know that the advice he's giving is fully researched versus uh, Joe Blow. Who, who has a fantasy football show and is doing the exact same thing. And he might say that he's well-researched, but I can guarantee you he does not have the resources that Matthew Barry has. And he's doing it all on his own, and I'm sure he's missed something. He might get, he might get a few more picks right than Matthew will, but at the end of the day, like you said, it's all about credibility and understanding the source of where that credibility comes from. Some of that credibility, by the way, can come from not the host, but the the apparatus behind him. You know, mm. using that same example, if Joe Blow starts his podcast not on JoeBlow.com, but on ESPN.com as Joe Blow's new sports fantasy show, you're not going to take it with the same credibility as the Matthew Berry show because Matthew's been a name that's been around, et cetera, et cetera. But ESPN saying this guy knows what he's doing. ESPN put this guy's show together. ESPN is promoting his show alongside Wilburn and, uh, you know, uh, whoever. I, okay, I'll listen to this too. Yep, yep. And then this comes to the last point here of bringing in a host who has an audience of their own. And obviously... There's only so many people in the world who are quote unquote famous. Um, and, and honest, honestly, it just makes things easier when you're launching a brand new podcast, when there's a built-in audience behind it. So for, for indie podcasters, my thought there would be when you're looking for a co-host, the way to make this applicable to yourself is maybe don't get the guy who doesn't have a Twitter account. You know, right. No no matter how great a podcast that person might make, if you have an equally uh you know high possibility of another host that also has some sort of following or at least an online presence period to help you promote the show and be active. I mean that was one of the things that I ran into not to cast aspersions again on him, but Josh, my former co-host with this show, he didn't have any presence at all online. I think he's got an Instagram account now, but that's like it and it and it's private. That's not going to help me promote the show you know nobody's going to follow josh and then find our podcast you have an active presence on twitter and facebook and elsewhere so when you promote the show there's a handful of people that don't know me that never would know me that do follow you and that might listen to this show because of that that's something to consider even if you're a very small podcaster yeah by the way if you are part of my audience uh, i'd like more of you to tell people about me and joel that would be nice <laughs> be very very nice uh jay that was a great article it's in the show notes you can find it there um let's get to our sponsor very quickly this episode oh, of boy. always listening is brought to you by the sleep with me podcast um and not just this episode but in fact every episode for the rest of the year is brought to you by the sleep with me podcast link is in the show notes it's of course hosted by andrew ackerman but drew doesn't want me to talk about 
his podcast. He doesn't want me to talk about him. He wants me to talk about Pogs, Jay. And today I have brought you a beauty. This is my Bartman Pog. It's in the show notes. You can see the uh, image there. It's also on our website, alwayslisteningpod.com, of course. Bartman, for those that are unaffiliated or or uninitiated, uh, Bart Simpson's heroic alter ego. Uh, So when The Simpsons launched, which, by the way, is over 30 years now. That's kind of frightening. When The Simpsons launched, my local uh, you know, area didn't have a Fox network. No. We didn't have Fox no. for like the first, I think the first three or four years. Oof. And by the time it finally showed up, uh, I was old enough that like my parents weren't super watching what I was, you know, I could kind of watch TV on my own a little bit, but I did get occasional warnings from my dad not to watch that Simpsons show. He thought that The Simpsons was Beavis and Butthead. He thought they were the same ah. thing. I don't know why, but he was convinced they were all, the, I guess maybe the Itchy and Scratchy show. I know mm. there had been like some controversy about the Itchy and Scratchy segments being super violent or something. I don't know. Anyway, here's what's happened this week, and this is the reason why I'm showing you this Bartman Pog. By the way, Pogs, of course, is the classic game of milk caps. It started in Hawaii and, and California and spread across the country in the 80s and 90s. It was a very fun game. plays kind of like marbles. Look in the show notes for a link to get the full history of the thing. But the reason why I thought of this Bartman this week is because The Simpsons, the full uh, catalog of The Simpsons is now on Disney+. Plus. You can watch the whole thing there. There's a bit of controversy because they don't make the original seasons available in 4x3 yet. They're all stretched out widescreen, ah, which hmm. means you miss occasionally, you miss some jokes on the edges because they've literally clipped the um, the, the footage there. Uh, Disney says they're going to fix that in 2020, though. There'll be an option to switch back and forth whichever one you wanted. Um, but... The thing that that kills me, Jay, is that, I mean, and it's the natural march of time, right? This is just, of course, this is the case. But as I'm watching the first season of The Simpsons, I watched about four or five episodes so far from that first season. It is so tame by today's (laughs) standards. Like this super controversial thing that my father was terrified that I would watch. And I do remember there was all sorts of problems. You know, Bart would say, eat my shorts. And they were like, oh, kids are going to be telling authorities off. Oh, it's so terrible. Like, it is almost Dennis the Menace level tame. Other than almost every episode ends in Homer choking Bart, which wouldn't right. fly in any uh, depiction of a, of a father and son today, obviously. But other than that, there's just, it's so, like, I've, I'm going to start showing it to my kids, honestly. I was a little worried. I was like, ah, I probably got to wait. Judah's 11. You know, that's my oldest. You know, I'll probably have to wait. He and and my younger son, the, the 10 and 11, they could totally watch The Simpsons. It is so lame by today's standards. Anyway, there's the natural march of time, folks. Pogs are lame, and so probably is the first couple of seasons of The Simpsons. You know, my son said he wanted to sit down and, and start watching The Simpsons from the beginning all the way to today. And I guess uh, it would take you like three or four years if you were to watch them back to back. <laughs> It's like it's 400 crazy. episodes, 500 it's episodes. crazy how much lot. Simpsons content there is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jay, what do you want to do for our final story here? I want to talk about Disney Plus because okay. Coleman Insights, the folks over there, uh, specifically uh, Jay uh, Nacholas, apparently listens to this podcast and was inspired by our using Disney Plus's launch to talk to podcasters and has written a similar blog. Um, 
at ColemanInsights.com. Now, once again, do not click on the link if you do not wish to be spoiled by The Mandalorian. We, however, will not spoil The Mandalorian here. We're going to do that later. Exactly. Uh, but as he's mentioned, so basically the, the gist of his blog is that there are so many choices for people out there and Disney plus launched anyway, right? There's so many different streaming options. They still launched anyway. And 10 million people signed up for Disney plus within the first 24 hours, it became available. So their, their idea, their theory was, was proven correct, uh, by launching yet another streaming service. However, he has mentioned that back in 2018, Sam Milkman, who also works at Coleman Insights, wrote about the continuing fragmentation of entertainment options. His contention was that because of the amount of choice, we simply don't have as many shared experiences anymore. And by the way, if it sounds like I'm reading, it's because I am. And that is a choice that I have made when I do read from these articles. I want it to sound like I'm reading so that you understand this is not my own thought. Uh we're talking about different shows on different platforms, which means we're not hitting critical mass, which makes it harder and harder to grow organically and break through. And I think that's something that is true. And obviously he has linked this to podcasting right now. Audio options, you have radio, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, etc., and 750,000 podcasts are available in the Apple Podcast app right now. So what do you do to help your own discoverability? Now, uh, Joel and I talked about if we were going to talk about Spotify's new podcast weekly, their discovery option that's being thrown. We're not going to talk about that today. However, uh, from Coleman Insights, this is what you should be doing, what you should be thinking about to help your own discoverability. Branding and strategic research have never been more important. Uh, like Joel and I were talking about with finding a great host, when you're doing a podcast, you need to know what the landscape is. You need to know what the playground is that you're going to be playing on and how are you going to stand out in that playground. Simple messaging is more critical than ever. Keep it simple, stupid. That's something I learned when I was a wee little one in school, and I'm pretty sure my dad learned that when he was a wee little one in school, and I'm sure his dad learned that when he was a wee little one in school. It's the reason why the Disney approach to streaming, I think, is so brilliant. A lot of people questioned the fact that they have three separate apps. They've got Disney+, Plus, they've got Hulu, and they have ESPN+. Plus. And those are going to be their apps, not just in the States, but worldwide. They're going to promote those three brands and those three separate subscriptions, although they do offer a bundle. Why? Because the messaging is so simple. What is Disney Plus for? It is for families, period. Now, it's more than that. It's adventure, it's excitement, it's fantasy, it's nostalgia, it's lots of things. But the simple branding is it's families. What is Hulu for? It's for stories. And that's what they're leaning into. They're leaning into adult branding. Handmaid's Tale is going to be very, very promoted. They've got all these uh, cartoon series coming from Marvel that are adult-focused cartoon series. And they're going to lean more into that in the Hulu branding. They're using the FX guys. The people behind the FX network is effectively going to be the people that are producing original content for Hulu moving forward. FX is a very adult-branded network. Hulu's their adult brand. That's adult stories. What is ESPN about, Jay? Well, that's the simplest one. It's sports. sports. <laughs> what sports? Right. Every sport. Every sport. 
Simple messaging, man. The last point here is it's crucial to make your brand easy to consume. And again, Joel has really highlighted that with the simple messaging. Uh, if if you love sports, you're going to love ESPN+. Plus. If you love Disney and your family loves Disney, you're going to love Disney+. Plus. It's pretty easy and it's super easy to consume. It's You don't have to sit and go, well, is this particular episode uh, explicit or not? Is this... Is this going to be this or that? Uh, before Disney Plus launched, uh, one of uh, my friends had asked about if it was too soon for his children who are uh, 8 and 10 to watch The Mandalorian uh, because word had gotten out that The Mandalorian was going to have violence in it. And I mentioned to him, most of the Star Wars violence that you see is usually off screen. It's not graphic type violence. Really, the the most graphic that you're going to get is somebody's going to lose a hand yeah. <laughs> with a lightsaber. Here, it's going to be uh, 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 a clean uh, chop, no blood. Yeah, right. A clean chop. And there's, it's not going to be spewing everywhere. It's not going to look disgusting. All of a sudden, dude's just not going to have a hand anymore. Um, and that's been the case too. Even with the Mandalorian, there was a I can't say because we said there would be no spoilers here. But essentially, uh, there was a killing that happened off screen. And, yeah. and, and, and you don't see it. Um, similarly, there are disintegrations. Uh, so not only is there no blood, there's nothing. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> they're it's gone. It's like a little mist of nothing. Yeah. But, but again, it's about making it easy to, uh, consume. Disney plus is everywhere. Jay, it's on my iPad. It's on my iPhone. It's on my Apple TV. It's on my Amazon Firebox. The Amazon Fire TV is promoting it to me in their ads. Like when I'm on the screensaver mode, it says, hey, did you know that Disney Plus is available? Uh, it's also on my mom's smart TV. You know, it's on Android devices. They went everywhere. Likewise, we need to be everywhere. We need to make our content easy to consume. You need to have a simple landing page. Go to alwayslisteningpod.com and you can listen to our show there. But also, if you're already listening to podcasts, we're going to be any of those in any of those podcast apps. You're going to find us too. That's the way you want your show to be. And why is this important? Because the other point that he brought out earlier in his blog is according to Nielsen research, 18 to 34 year olds spend as much as nine minutes just trying to figure out what to watch, which is a phenomenon referred to as decision paralysis. And I don't know if you've seen those commercials uh, with, um, uh, the comedian, uh, da, 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 I don't know. It's for, um, it's for a cable, uh, company and she's in the on-demand library and, uh, the husband's all freaked out. He's like, she's been like this for, for at least 10, 20 minutes now. And she's like, it's okay. Uh, let's put her feet up. All right. Hold the remote up to her and now say, find, uh, my shows. And, and it does. And she's like, Oh, I should thank you for this. She's like, uh, yeah, I am pretty great, but that's not for me to say. That's for you to say. And that's the commercial. It's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, it goes to all this. Uh, nine minutes just to figure out what you want to watch. I find myself in that in in certain times. Like, I'll be sitting and I'll be scrolling because I got nothing on that I've recorded. Or I might have recorded and I'm waiting for my kid to watch it. The Mandalorian. Or, <laughs> you know, something. Some, uh, I've got a show that I watch with my wife, so I can't watch it because I got to wait for my wife. So i got to find something else to watch. I'll find myself you know, flipping through channels and looking through the guide, trying to figure out what I'm going to watch. But I mean, nine minutes, that seems, this is the beauty. 
of Netflix and YouTube. Netflix and YouTube both do a wonderful job of algorithmic suggestions, right? Netflix Mm. and YouTube both put tons of things in your face and say, hey, watch this. Here's our suggestions for you. And when you finish a video, they've got five or six suggestions for what's next based on things that they think you'll like because of your past watch history, et cetera, et cetera. Let me tell you what I love that does this. And I wish that we had this in podcasting, honestly. Uh, The Apple TV app, not the service that gives us the new shows, not the box that you buy, but the actual app, Apple TV. It's on your iPhone and iPad, and there's one on your Apple TV box as well. This tracks the shows that you watch, not only through Apple services, but the other services that connect to it. So basically everything except Netflix plugs in. Amazon Prime plugs in, Hulu plugs in, Disney Plus now plugs in, etc. HBO Go, all of those things. So when I open up the TV app, what I'm seeing right now is I've got an episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I've got an episode of Corner Gas on Amazon Prime. I've got an episode of The Watchmen that I haven't finished yet on on HBO Go. Uh, I've I've The Mandalorian. I've started rewatching it with the kids, so they're showing me the next episode of The Mandalorian now. Dickinson, which is the new Apple TV show, and then I haven't started For All Mankind, which they're suggesting to me here in my list. And then there's a bunch of shows. There's movies I own, and you know things that the kids have watched at different times. The next episode of X Men on Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. So when I open that TV app, they're giving me a handful of things. Here's here's what you're into. Which one do you want to choose now? That stops me from spending that nine minutes waiting and thinking, what am I in the mood for? I open my thing. It tells me what's next, and I watch one of those things. I wish we had that for podcasting, Jay. Well, I think that's what the Spotify Podcast Weekly list is supposed to be for you. Uh, But that will be a story for another podcast because – Talk about that next week. Uh, we've yeah. run out of time on this episode. Jay, remind everybody where they can find you, particularly college sports podcasters, if they're interested in uh, talking to you. Yeah, college sports podcasters apparently don't listen to the show. However, if you are listening to the show for the first time, I am looking for college sports podcasters. Uh, the SEC is done. Thanks very much, everybody. Uh, but we are looking for other coverage, especially in the Big Ten uh football conference uh so if you are a fan of those teams and you do a podcast about those teams i would love to talk to you podvader at lockedonpodcast.com or you can reach me on twitter at the real podvader my dms are open uh you can find me propodcastingservices.com in case you need help on your podcast and uh also uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Rogues Life or at podcasting underscore pro. Until next week, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. Insert the Mandalorian spoiler. I am here. And we are always listening. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast... 
visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Raber. All right, a quick discussion of the first two episodes of The Mandalorian, now that we've both seen it, thank goodness. Um, first of all, uh, non-spoilers, in case somebody is still listening here for a second, Jay, how highly do you rank this as far as just like overall Star Wars content? It, for, it's way up on the list yes. for me right now. Super high. I love it. This is this is everything I've ever wanted in a Star Wars show that I didn't even know I wanted. Yeah. This is phenomenal. The production values are off the charts. I, I I saw some complaints about some of the creatures in episode one in particular, but to me, everything so far has been very, very polished. The the I, I like all of the character design, the creature design. I love that they're using puppets and and models, you know, going back to the old school. I say old school, that's the way that JJ's doing his Star Wars movies as well. So it makes sense that they would keep that for the TV shows. Well, and it's got that JJ feel to it too, right? That same type of cinematography that we've seen in the newer uh, trilogy and Rogue One. Uh, It looks, it's got that same sort of look to it. Um, it, It's wonderful. I love it. My concern is it's got to cost them a pretty penny, and I highly doubt they're recouping their costs, even with 10 million people in the first 24 hours. So, so it's it's a long play, right? Like it's about and, – and in particular, the money spent on this is about setting up the franchise because Star Wars is in a little bit of limbo right now. The, the, there are side cool movies. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of like – uh, solo movies, literally solo, was not a success. They've decided not to go that way anymore. And after the Skywalker saga is over, I mean, Rian Johnson is supposed to make three movies. He's still supposedly going to do that, but we haven't heard anything about it in a while. A lot of directors have been fired. I think there's a lot of turmoil behind the scenes in Lucasfilm, and these this TV show in particular is their opportunity to reset everything i think in a lot of ways and to set the table for what they want to do for the next 10 or 15 years well and that's the thing uh they they i mean what we know about what disney does is they will they will squeeze every last possible cent they can out of whatever franchise that they take over now uh, while we mentioned that Star Wars seems to be in a bit of a limbo, at the same time, they have this series. They've done very well with the cartoons that they've had on the Disney channels. Um, and and that production seems to be moving forward. I believe there's another cartoon series coming, or at least I've, I've, heard, I've heard that there was another cartoon series coming that was based back in the, uh, m- maybe the original trilogy i'm not 100 percent sure about that i seem to remember hearing that story too and that's one of those things cartoon series are so weird because they take the lead time is so long i seem to remember like the trade story being broken yeah they're working on an original trilogy era cartoon show that'll take over after resistance is done um because i think resistance is only like a three or four season plan i don't think it's a long-term show kind of like rebels they did rebels with a very finite right here's the story that we're telling and that was it of course they're bringing back clone wars on disney plus we're going to get another season of clone wars at least on disney plus so who knows where where that's going to go i i will say this taking the storytelling back to um, a grounded character giving us uh, a story that is going to be force light 
right? Mm. There's no Jedi in the main part of this team. Um, even though the, the spoiler that we're about to get to, there is some Force stuff that's going to be involved in this series, obviously. It is not the focus. I think that was a really, really good idea. Rebuilding the world and reminding everyone how intriguing and interesting the ground-level characters are was very necessary. If the only stories we can tell in Star Wars is where the whole galaxy is at stake, then we're Star Wars isn't like the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all, and we can't expand that story out, really. So, as a consumer of all things Star Wars, uh, I watch resistance and i've obviously watched the mandalorian and i watched all the movies and uh from time to time i will read the comics um but i'm not a i no longer purchase comic books it's just it's just not cost effective anymore (laughs) um a lot of the story is interesting especially in this new timeline where we're in this post uh return of the jedi era and in the latest episode of resistance and now you're getting spoilers uh there's um they're doing a reconnaissance mission to a planet and they find an old jedi temple that actually has been taken over by a sith temple and they run into a force user who claims that she is neither jedi nor sith um, but is now teaching them the ways of the, not necessarily teaching them the ways of the force, but she's giving them a little education on what it means for the force. That Everybody has the force. Um, it's not owned by any one particular type of person. Uh, it, the force is in everybody. It comes to everybody and they use it in whatever means it, it manifests itself, uh, which is an interesting concept around the force because that's something that we We've sort of been told, but not really. Um, and the Sith Temple is actually, it turns out that the Jedi, uh, when they came in power, uh, as she put it, it was um, it was submission by suppression. So they, they built Jedi temples over old Sith temples so that the Sith temples could no longer be found or at least seen. And in this particular instance, uh, the Sith Temple was growing out of the Jedi Temple. In any case, not to get too deep into the mythology of Star Wars and on Resistance, but I say that because now we have a Force-sensitive character in The Mandalorian, and not only is it a Force-sensitive character, it is like the most Force-sensitive character uh, that was ever introduced to the Star Wars universe, and that is what has been termed Baby Yoda. Now, I am all in on Baby Yoda. However, understand this is not Yoda. This is not the rebirth of Yoda. There, we know very little of Yoda's species. However, we have seen in the cartoons in Clone Wars, and I believe in the, um, the second trilogy, which is really the first trilogy, episodes one through three, I believe there is another... Yoda-like character that is on the Jedi Council. Yeah, there's Uh, one. So in canon currently, before the Mandalorian, there was Yoda, and there's another character that was a a Jedi Council member. We only see her actually in The Phantom Menace uh, is the only time she appears in the prequel trilogy. But the the name is Yaddle, and she has been confirmed to be the same species as Yoda. That also 
implies, I don't think it's ever actually been confirmed, but it implies that there's at least two genders or two sexes of that species as well. Um, so, the, the, so the first thing would be, is this Yoda's child? Mm. So when was this when was this creature born? The Yoda that we or the 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 baby Yoda because that's the name the baby Yoda <laughs> that we meet is we're told that it's fifty years old even though it right. appears to us to be like a year old like it's a it's a toddler basically right because uh, it does walk at one point um, it is apparently born the same year and this has been confirmed confirmed now by Lucasfilm it was born born the same year as Anakin Skywalker ooh yeah. So, my current going theory is that it is either the balance to Anakin's birth. The Force always provides balance, a light and a dark. Uh, and we've seen that in the new trilogy with, with uh, Kylo's growing power and affinity for the dark side. Rey's power is so great because she is the foil. She is the balance to, to Kylo's dark side. Um, so, either... This baby is meant to be the balance to Anakin's, uh, you know, effect on the universe. Or, and I think this is even more possible, you know, the whole point of the prequel trilogy is implying that Anakin's birth might have been manipulated by Palpatine. Palpatine and his master were trying to... Uh, experiment with the force in a way to create uh, um, uh, immortality for themselves, but also they believed that they could create a being purely out of the force of a virgin birth, basically. And it's never made clear, but it's implied heavily that Anakin is that birth. So right? in the comic books, it is confirmed that, that, that it was the experiment. That, that Anakin was, was the experiment. Anakin was the experiment that uh, that was being performed by the Emperor. I don't believe Darth Plagueis, who is Darth Sidious, the Emperor's master, was involved in that particular ins- experiment. So it's simply just Darth Sidious' experiment created Anakin Skywalker. Wow. So... And I hate that, by the way. I, I 100%, well, so, so I 100% hate that. that. What if we find out in the end that's not what happened? Then that's and, great. And that, I'm, I'm much and happier. That Yoda, in fact, is the birth of. The now that would be whatever, awesome. Well, yeah. well, Joel, I'm glad you bring that up because also remember in that first trilogy when we learn about Darth Plagueis. And by the way, I've read the novel Darth Plagueis, which is technically not canon, but it's pretty close to canon as it can be. Yes. Uh, Very little of it has been like denied by anything we right. know for sure. Correct. In current canon. Yeah. Uh, we learn that uh, this particular power is a Sith power, one that only you can learn from a Sith, not from a Jedi. However, in those powers, there's also healing powers. And Baby Yoda is watching the Mandalorian tend to his wounds, and Baby Yoda keeps getting out of his little floating carriage and walking over and sort of reaching... With trying the, to reach the wound. Trying to re- reach the wound to heal him. That is a Sith power. That is not a Jedi power. Um, and that is important <laughs> because of what you just mentioned. And it is interesting because ah, uh, I still don't here's the one thing that I that I don't understand. I get the whole idea that different species age at different rates. That's fine. However, within 50 years, the whole concept that we have as human beings, as we 
grow older and is we're learning like we are very much uh, about our senses. We learn yes. about the world through our senses. In 50 years, you learn how to talk. Yeah, you learn so you learn certain it, things. Like that, you don't just you just don't remain an infant for 50 like you can talk you should be able to talk in a reasonable manner and you should be able to do certain things because you've learned them over the course of 50 years so uh even just do the math okay so yoda when he when he passes away in the original trilogy he says uh in that ep in uh, empire strikes back he says to luke when 900 years old you reach look as good you will not so he's 900 and something when he dies if that's the case Yoda's like a teenager. He shouldn't be an old man. You know, I mean, like, right. unless unless they're like, I don't know, dogs. Okay, so dogs mature a lot in six months, and then they effectively stay the same for 10 years, right? Like, they, their bodies don't change until they enter that, like, elderly stage. Maybe it's something like that, where, like, his, his prime is coming soon, and then his prime will last for a long time. I don't know. It seems to me very much like, though, they started with, we want a baby Yoda, and then like, right. okay, baby Yoda can be old because Yoda's lived to be nine right. years old. So he can still be an infant and be older. How, when do we want him to be born? And then they were like, oh, we want him to be born the year of Anakin. And so they made him 50 years old without a full explanation or exploration of exactly what that would mean for his aging. Because, okay, between when the Mandalorian takes place and when the Force Awakens takes place, there are roughly 25 years. So that means... Is he going to be a two-year-old when we see him next? Like in the in the so the great thing about introducing a character like Yoda is that they can come back to this character specifically, even though you tell stories centuries apart. Right? That's a beautiful idea for the Star Wars universe and for future storytellers that this character can tie stories together now. But on the flip side, how far in the future do we have to go? I mean, is Ray going to be an old woman? in the story where we can have this character be somebody that we can talk to. Well, and and to that point, they've never done a really good job with timelines in Star Wars. When they've made prequels and sequels and they've tried to set up what exactly the timeline is, they've done a horrible job of that. Um, for instance, we know that there is a tie between The Mandalorian and The Rise of Skywalker. There's going to be something that happens in The Mandalorian that has a direct correlation to something that will happen in the rise of skywalker my belief is our uh, nick nolte ugnot friend uh i have spoken is going to be the person that they get to reprogram c-3po because one of the storylines that has leaked is that they come across uh, a sith writing they can't read it they have to reprogram c-3po because he's programmed not to be able to read sith and um and they need to reprogram him. And my guess is that uh, this particular Ugnaught is going to be the one that reprograms C-3PO. That's my thought. Mm. I don't know if that's going to be true or not. Um, but we do know that C-3PO is going to become Sith. That's the whole red-eye C-3PO. Um, we'll just have to wait and find out. Fascinating, man. Like, I, I'm I'm all in. I Of the million things that I thought this series was going to be about, Baby Yoda was not one no. of them. I didn't have any idea either. Uh, that's why I'm so glad. While I said at the beginning of the show, I'm not spoiler spoiler adverse. I'm so glad I wasn't spoiled about Baby Yoda because Baby Yoda coming out of nowhere, like 
the reaction my son and I both had when we saw Baby Yoda, his reaction was a little more like, oh, how cute, as I would suspect a 16-year-old boy might. <laughs> suspect it more of a 16-year-old girl, honestly. But, hey, uh, I can't deny that, that Baby Yoda is cute. But <laughs> I was just more like, holy crap, we've got ourselves a Baby Yoda. Well, and it's just there are so few things left in the Star Wars you know, universe that haven't been explored at all. And yet George Lucas specifically never gave a species name for Yoda. We don't know the home world for this species. We we don't know their gestation. We don't know how they procreate. What if what if literally they're they're each born of the force? Maybe they maybe they are, you know, there's some speculation that maybe maybe Yoda's like a will, the idea that that mm. it's a special species that controls the force in some way. Lucas has said that Yoda wasn't intended to be a will. But other than that, we basically know nothing about where this could go. And the fact that and, – and look, I've got friends that aren't big Lucas fans and have said it doesn't matter to them that there's any heritage here. But for me, the fact that Dave Filoni is behind this series and he was personally chosen by Lucas and then trained by Lucas. They worked together for years doing the Clone Wars. I feel like it is fitting that he is getting to open this new chapter and again set the stage for this next generation of this story. It's very exciting. Well, I'm curious because I've read articles that Lucas never wanted the background of Yoda to be explored. He wanted to leave it all in mystery. Now they're clearly doing that. Um so I'll be I would be curious to see what Lucas's reaction is. If you listened to the Inside Star Wars podcast, um, you would know that Lucas and Disney um, definitely had a disharmonious um, breaking, even though Lucas sold the rights to Disney, um, specifically because he thought that Disney was the only place that could continue his vision. The problem was he didn't maintain control of his vision. And once he gave up control of his vision, that's where the problems began between Lucas and Star Wars as it exists now. However, listen, this is what happens in life with everything, right? You create something. Uh, my wife and I created two wonderful human beings. We have taught them, uh, you know, as best we can. They're going to continue to grow and experience the world and make an impact on the world, not necessarily in the way that we want them to. They're, hopefully they'll do it in the way that we hope them to, but they're going to do things that are completely different than what than what we've taught them. They're, it's, it's the old adage of, you know, the bird leaves the nest and that's it, right? So, and similarly, Lucas created this wonderful bird and it has now left the nest and now there are other creators that want to put their stamp on the story well honor the other thing that's important to know is that these people also revere the story um despite the fact that i hated the last jedi um at least mr johnson reveres the story and a lot of my problems with the last jedi actually come from dave filoni because filoni has worked mainly on the cartoons he's been the biggest voice on the on the cartoons and there's a way of telling as we've discussed on this podcast many times different mediums tell a story a different manner you can't tell a cartoon story 
in live action the same way as you do on the cartoon. It's just, you simply can't. <laughs> mm, I agree with that. On the flip side, I think, boy, the Mandalorian so far, and who knows how he lands the story, right? That's the other thing. They, they could take the story in some really bad directions. We've only basically seen like, uh, you know, 70 minutes of this story so far. So they could take it in a really bad direction. You and I could both be very upset in a couple of weeks. I don't think they're going to. I have I have faith in these storytellers. But I, I do think that it is about triangulation. It's about this, this sequel trilogy that we're currently in the middle of here, about to wrap up in December, is weird because of its requirements. It needed to relaunch the franchise for a new generation, but it also needed to wrap up a story 40 years in the telling. And I think the fan base was very divided on which one of those two things it wanted more of, and there was probably no way to satisfy everyone. The really exciting thing about a series like The Mandalorian is, even though it ties to what's come before and what's going to come after, we have the possibility for original here. You know, we have this opening for something new and different. And because of the nature of storytelling in the modern cinematic universe and, and the nature of the Disney corporation, we know that this story will expand and grow in new and interesting ways over the next coming years. That's a cool place to be, man. It's it's a cool time to be a, a geek. I, and, and here's the other thing, too. I think about all the lessons that they're learning while they're making this. You know, they're already working on season two now. They're filming season two as we speak. How many takeaways from season one did they bring to that production? Likewise, how many things did they learn from making this series and season two of this series that they're going to be able to bring to you know, the Winter Soldier and Falcon and WandaVision and all of their Marvel series that are coming up. And then how how many experiments and lessons will they take from those that they'll bring back to Star Wars? It, look, man, the, to me, the best moment of The Mandalorian so far is when he's climbing the, the sand crawler and he they try to stick him to the wall. They try to run him into the wall. That's completely ripped off from Indiana Jones. But you took that classic trope, that classic cliche, and put it in a modern story with great special effects and all the production qualities that you have, and it was exciting and thrilling again. It was nostalgic, but it was new and original too. And it was like, this is what I want. This is what I want in my entertainment, man. I loved it. I loved it. Right. And then, and, and you brought that 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 wonderful scene. That's a classic chase scene. It's got all of the tropes that you've seen, but now you're seeing a Mandalorian, a guy who looks like Boba Fett, on a sand crawler with a bunch of Jawas throwing junk at him to try and get him to fall off the thing. And then when he finally gets to the top, he gets shot with the you know electro paralyzer thing and comedically falls off of the sand crawler into the sand, and and you're sort of like. I loved it. I loved every second of that, it, even though I shouldn't have. It should have been 100% cheesy. It should have been cheesy, but it wasn't cheesy. It was all done with sort of that wink, but at the same time, it made sense in the way that the story was being told. I love The Mandalorian. I'm here for it. I, I've read a lot of the books, too, that have come out uh, that are now canon um, that have helped fill in some of the storylines. I love the idea of your Imperial credits are no good anymore because the empire is gone. I mean, that's, that's, those are the, like the little things that like you don't necessarily think about that make how a, how 
you know, years later, a new empire could rise in the first order. And you go, well, how aren't all these planets already banded together and be like, no, we don't want you. Well, it's because of things like the economy, stupid, <laughs> right? There is no economy anymore, or at least not a, a galactic economy. I thought, I thought that was so, such a brilliant way to do it too. Like they don't go into a big deal about how the, the empire has fallen apart further. He says, I'll pay you an imperial credits. He goes, uh, no, the guy says, they still spend. And then he says, I don't want them. Starts to leave. And then he offers him uh, flan, but half. He says, I can play, I can pay you calamari flan, but only half. And the Mandalorian takes it. That tells you so much. It's a, a simple, concise interaction. But it tells you so much about the state of the galaxy right there. It's, it's really, really good storytelling, honestly. And the casting has been amazing. Warner Herzog as the imperial governor or whatever he is like what the crap that's a that's like a world-class director and actor who's in this movie never mind carl weathers and you know like uh, uh nick nolte as the um right as, as, the, as the, the alien yeah anyway i love it i love it i love it i'm very excited that they're doing week to week too uh i am too uh, I, as I mentioned on on my Twitter, I'm so glad that I can't binge it. I can't wait to binge it. Like, yes, I'm glad that I'm going to get this in weekly segments, but I will also be just as excited to then go back and binge the whole thing after I've seen it once um, because it's that good. I, I And I'm sure there's little things that I've missed. I also mentioned on Twitter that I'm dying for a Mandalorian podcast. Uh, one of my buddies... Um, uh, Mr. Zier uh, with Coffee with Kenobi said that uh, they are doing a Mandalorian podcast, so I can't wait to go and listen to that. And I'm sure there are other Mandalorian podcasts with people that are much more in-depth uh, with Star Wars content than even I am. Uh, so I can't wait to hear some of that stuff. And yeah, that's probably going to lead me to some spoilers. But at this point, I think the biggest spoiler is, is out there. And... And even if I do get spoiled by by something else, maybe maybe there's another bigger spoiler, like you mentioned. Maybe they already know that Baby Yoda is a is a Sith product. It's not going to bother me at this point. Um, I'm all in on the series, and I love it. I do recommend reading the book Darth Plagueis if you have not read it. You're a Star Wars fan. Uh, while they say that it is part of the legends and not part of canon, it will explain. Uh, that little thing like the economy of how the emperor rises to power, how it's so easy for him to become the emperor. It explains a little bit more about how he created this trade federation versus uh, the uh, alliance or the, you know, or the, the Congress the essentially. Yeah. Um, the Republic. Thank you. Uh, it explains a lot of that and how he was able to do that and how he was able to basically kill off the Jedi uh, because the Jedi became arrogant. Yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, the name of the book is Darth Plagueis, but it's really it's the Palpatine backstory that we never get anywhere else. Uh, the interesting thing, Jay, to me is there's another book that is still canon uh, called Tarkin, which I feel like is a great mm -hmm. companion to that. You get a lot of young Tarkin's life, and he develops a relationship with uh, Palpatine very early on. They become, uh, you know, alliances and allies pretty early on, and that relationship is is um, drawn out a lot there. The other thing in Palp in in uh, that Tarkin book, you get some of the relationship between Darth Vader and Tarkin, which is interesting too, and you don't really see a lot of in the movies. 
Well, and and to that point, it it also highlights why Vader is able to turn on Palpatine, uh, because in the Tarkin book, you sort of get the idea that Vader isn't treated necessarily very well by the Emperor. Uh, almost like a lapdog when Leia talks to Tarkin in A New Hope and says, oh, you're a lapdog Vader. And of course, in the Tarkin book, Vader does not see himself as Tarkin's lapdog. And I don't think Vader sees himself as the Emperor's lapdog either. Uh, Yet that is 100% the perception of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. It's Anyway, really, really interesting stuff. And I'm excited to see more of that explored Boy, I never imagined we were going to get a live-action TV series from Star Wars. It's so, so cool. Well, like I said, it has got to be super expensive. I don't it's know. Like, like $15 million an episode, I think, is what they're budgeted at, which is higher than uh, Game of Thrones started. I don't think it's as high as Game of Thrones got in the last couple of seasons. But, of course, by that time, you know, they were showing, hey, 18 million people an episode are watching us, 20 million people an episode are watching us, et cetera, et cetera. You had numbers to go to. Um, the fact that this is an experiment, the fact that they, they put this out there. But, but, Jay, you just said it. You're watching it week to week now, which means you're going to keep that Disney Plus subscription, and you're going to binge it once it's done. So even eight, nine, ten weeks from now when it's over and all the content is out there, they're not going to lose you because you're going to keep watching this and the other shows that they continue to produce. No, that's true. But even but my – you just mentioned like Game of Thrones could see, HBO could see they had 18 million plus subscribers uh, just watching Game of Thrones, and HBO has way more than 18 million subscribers. Um, this shows, right now, we know that the maximum number of subscribers Disney Plus has is 10 million. And and that's obviously way less than 18 million. And I'm sure it will grow, but at the maximum, they've only got 10 million people who have paid for this. So and that's... For everything. That's well, not just the Star Wars show. They've got other original programming on this. And and Marvel, The Mar- once they start doing Marvel-type shows, we know that the budget for those is going to be up there, too. It's, so, yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be if they're going to make it equivalent to the movies. But the, the way that I talked to Kelly about it, I, she said, okay, so what does that mean, 10 million people subscribed? I said, so Bob Iger is going to go to his shareholders now the next time that he has a meeting and say, day one, we booked $140 million worth of revenue with Disney+. Plus. And, and like... It didn't. He didn't actually make 140 million because all of us are still on a trial, right? But day one, he's able to put on the books 140 million dollars worth of revenue. Well, the whole first season of The Mandalorian cost less than 140 million. I guarantee you. There's only like eight episodes, I think. Even at 15 million a piece, that's a small chunk of the 140 that he made day one, and that's paid for now. You're going to continue to send him a subscription. So, like that. That's that's why. That's how they can afford it. Anyway, it's a great series. If you haven't watched it, I don't know what you were doing listening to this. But uh, if you if you've been putting it off, or you think maybe that's not for me, if you have access to Disney Plus, if you are at all interested in Star Wars or Marvel or any of that stuff, The Mandalorian's well worth your time. And honestly, 
I mean, there's so much more on Disney Plus. My daughter, like I mentioned when we first talked about Disney Plus, my daughter's now discovered it. So she's watching all, a whole bunch. She's been watching a lot of the movies that she's never seen before. Like she mm-hmm. watched Aladdin, for instance. She's watched a couple of the TV shows that uh, she used to watch as a kid and maybe didn't even understand. Like we were talking, she very much wants to go back and watch Good Luck Charlie. Now, while she was alive when Good Luck Charlie was out, she was like, maybe four, maybe six years old. So she didn't even understand. And I mean, we're talking about a Disney channel sitcom. It's not like it's ginormous. It's not like there's huge themes that, that you're not going to understand, but even for a six year old, she's, she's going to get a different perspective on it. Watching it now as a 12 year old versus as a six year old. Um, and, and you'll find that with anything you watch. When you watch old Tom and Jerry cartoons, uh, you, you realize why itchy and scratchy was such a big deal on the Simpsons. <laughs> Hey, you get the you get the uh, you get the grown up jokes now. I love it. Right. Um, exactly. All right. Uh, well, we're we're not going to do a whole podcast about the Mandalorian, so we're going to knock it off there. But man, it is really really good. I cannot wait to see the next episode of it. Um, thanks for talking to me about it, Jay. Yeah, and by the way, there's still characters that we haven't been introduced to yet that we know are coming, based on the previews that we've seen. Um, yes. You know the 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 Gina Carano character, for instance, and. Uh, there's another imperial governor, um, a famous dude uh, from a whole bunch of different stuff that hasn't been introduced to the storyline yet that we know, know are coming. I, know, I don't know if I know who you're talking about there. The other actor. Oh, man. What is his name? Carl Weathers and Nick Nolte were the two that I was really looking forward to. I knew Werner Herzog was in it. Uh, I had forgotten that he was playing an imperial um, you know, magistrate or whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the casting so far has been... Fairly unbelievable. Pedro Pascal is brilliant, uh, by the way. One, yes, very good, very good. Juan Carlo Esposito. Oh, um, oh, from uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah, he was Gus. He was he was Gus in Breaking Bad. Yep. Uh, so he's gonna be he's he's in it, and he's a he's an imperial governor. Uh, so yeah, yeah. And he hasn't, I can, and he hasn't totally even been introduced yet. So it's, yeah, so it's great. By the way, there's a great picture of Nick Nolte as I googled, um, and he totally looks like the Ugnot. <laughs> so good job by by uh, those folks over there at uh, Industrial Light and Magic to make the Ugnot look exactly like Nick Nolte. <laughs> uh, e- either I have spoken, or <laughs> I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. Those are, I'm not sure which one is my favorite saying so far, but I've used both a couple of times already. <laughs> I have spoken. I mean, that's just, it's brilliant. When he didn't say, he didn't say it enough in the second episode. He only said it like once. Well, so um, my son was, was really, at, when, really when he was saying goodbye, when he was saying goodbye, my sons were so upset. They were like, I wanted one more. I have spoken. And he, and the last thing he says, he turns around and he says, may the child survive and bring you a great bounty. I have spoken. And they were like, yay! Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was like, that's perfect. Yep. That's perfect. Uh, the show is brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really brilliant. good. Go watch um, it. All right. As a matter of fact. I hope more people watch it. Uh, I'm going to go so I can go watch it again, maybe. <laughs> oh, how dare you. <laughs> All right, Jay. Until next time. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you.
Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.